Listen up, real estate investors, entrepreneurs, and agents. You're in the right place. Unlocking the secrets to real estate investing and entrepreneurship. Welcome to the Titanium Vault, hosted by RJ Bates III. Here's RJ. Hello, and welcome to the Titanium Vault. I'm your host, RJ Bates. Today, I'm sitting down with Tyler Thompson. Tyler, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, RJ. Thanks for having me. Absolutely, man. So uh, why don't you take a second to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about what you do in real estate investing? Yeah, sure. So I work in the Northwest Arkansas market. I'm from Bentonville, Arkansas. I was born and raised here originally. And uh, I guess, uh, so I was uh, a teenager that had some problems, you know, didn't wasn't really on the right path and uh, somehow uh, had the wherewithal to join the, uh, the military. So it's a big deal to me. You and I are recording this uh, on 9-11, which is which is huge. And, uh, you know, I always, as you as you know, I'm a big proponent of the military. Any uh, young men or women that aren't on the on the right path, it's really what set my life uh, on the on the right track. So right. Um, that being said, um, joined the joined the army right out of high school, got to spend some time in uh, in uh, the special operations field and psychological operations. I kind of jumped out of airplanes and talked on radios and stuff, which was awesome. Got to be a uh, a part of some some big things so that was cool and uh i grew up on a chicken farm uh, working working really hard and doing something that i knew i didn't want to do forever and i thought uh you know we're the we're the headquarters for walmart so i thought i was going to be a a corporate guy actually originally and uh while i was in the military i kind of started picking up some real estate books i think the first one was a book called one minute millionaire um kind of started realizing what was what was possible there from uh, creating wealth through real estate. So uh, after the military, I kind of jumped into into college, um, spent some time in the transportation industry, corporate world, and uh, continuing to read real estate investment books. And uh, in 2005, early 2005, March actually 2005, I uh, bought my first property with a business partner, one of my best friends. We're still really good friends. Um, bought that property, owner finance, um, no money down, and uh, flipped that thing and made about thirty thousand bucks, which uh, you know split with my business partner. And we actually started an LLC at that point. And uh, all the books that I read kind of pointed towards uh, foreclosure auctions at the courthouse steps. So. I thought I had a lot of knowledge on that. We started researching the sales when they're held and, you know, going out and looking at the properties ourselves and spent uh, about two months, I guess, going to unsuccessfully going to foreclosure sales. There was a lot of guys up there buying that didn't want us, you know, competing and things like that. And we just kind of built relationships with those guys, the people at the auction, um, you know, kind of circling back to this industry is a lot about who you know and the relationships you build. So yeah. um, built some relationships with those guys. Um, just one day out of the blue, they were like, hey, you guys take these two properties. And they were they were good deals. Um, so we jumped on those two properties and uh, we're filling out the paperwork at the end of the auction. They were like, yeah, so uh, I, we spent, I think, around 150 grand that day. And like I said, we had 30,000 between the two of us. And uh, <laughs> he's like, yeah, so... Uh, all you got to do is wire the money off by noon tomorrow to this law firm. Here's the account number. And we were like, well, hold up. <laughs> That's uh, 24 hours. 
So uh, when you talk about raising private money, I'd never heard of like raising private money, right? So we, we already had a relationship built with a banker because we coached his kid in baseball and um, had kind of talked to him about what we were trying to do. So we thought we were going to walk in there and put 30000 down, get a loan on these houses and, and uh, do the, all the work we ourselves like we did on the on the previous one and uh ended up actually beating the bushes uh had a had a real estate agent we had built a relationship with and called her and told her the the problem so she ended up loaning us i think ninety thousand dollars off of a line of credit she had in exchange for getting the listings on these two properties when we we're done with them that brought us to one hundred and twenty thousand. and uh it's cool to hear tim bratt speak because he actually bought his first property on a credit card also right. um I maxed out uh, my credit cards like twenty thousand dollars in cash withdrawals, which cost twelve hundred bucks in fees. So uh, that got us to within about ten thousand. I think we borrowed like twenty five hundred from one person and just kind of chicken scratched the rest of it around and ended up getting that done in twenty four hours. Which is uh, looking then it was like, hey, that's huge. But like looking back now and getting to spend some time uh, with. Uh, people that are more experienced and in rooms like the investor fuel room and, and kind of having the opportunity to talk to people on the internet, guys that are just starting out and things like that. That's, that's huge. And I like it because that shows like, Hey, I was 25 years old and, you know, didn't even know what kind of pressure I was under. And it, it is possible, you know, we didn't have the money to do it. We just made it happen. That money is out there. You just, you have to ask for it. Right. That's, right. uh, that's, uh, Kind of, you know, some of the guys in the room talk about, you know, you, you got to ask for it or you're not going to get it. So, absolutely, uh, man. I always say the answer is always no until you ask. You know, I mean, uh, it's very important to to broadcast your needs in business and especially with raising private capital. And I mean, that's incredible that that realtor was willing to loan y'all ninety thousand dollars just to get two listings on properties. I mean. Do you think that's kind of a product of y'all being in a smaller remote location in the fact that there was just a need to to acquire those listings on her part? Um, she was a good realtor and successful and that was 05 so we we're in a in a hot, you know, it was a hot market at the time and um you know, I I think it was more a subject of uh, more a matter of building we had already built a relationship with her she had she had listed and sold um the property the property that we own her finance before so she was a little bit older than us she was probably in her mid-30s at the time and just i think just and she had been a successful investor herself i think she just saw some potential and you know knowing that those two listings could turn into a hundred so um I think it was more about the relationship than anything really when it, when it comes down to it. Um, and just people, especially people with money, um, want, they want to help people, you know, in general people who are already successful. I mean, I think you you and I are the same way. We, we want to help, uh, people. And I can't remember the exact quote or where it came up. It may come up in our group somewhere, but, um, if you want to get free information, ask a ask a wealthy person, right? They'll gladly, it may have been a book that I was reading, but wealthy people will help uh, people that they see potential in free of charge. Um, you know, people who are still up and coming want to charge you for, for information. And there's nothing wrong with that at right. all. But uh, maybe there's a, you know, if, you, if, if you're out there and you're listening and you know someone that's really successful, 
I would bet you a hundred bucks. You go talk to that person and say, Hey, I'd like to have lunch uh, with you and hear your story. They're probably going to do it. Um, Absolutely. If not the next person will, you know, and, know and that's it's, it's funny you say that though, because a lot of times I want to share things that I've learned over the past couple of years, just so it, it because I learned it the hard way, you know, and it's like, I yeah. want people to hear it and and realize like hey this is what i've learned don't don't go through the struggles that i went through just listen to what i'm saying and and realize this could be the end result and uh it is funny that you kind of bring that up that you know wealthy people are willing to give away information and and nowadays you see so many people host hosting masterminds and meetups you know here in dfw we have a meetup tonight that propelio host there'll probably be five six seven hundred people there completely free and it's just a room full of just knowledge out i mean it's crazy the amount of knowledge in that room and it's just you can literally just walk up you don't even have to say anything you can just literally walk up to a conversation and just stand there and you can just gain knowledge just by listening to other people have a conversation so yes the information is definitely out there and so if you're beginning or you're you're trying to get started go to these meetups like you said, ask people to go to lunch and the, the information will be readily available for you. So after you, you took down these properties, did you continue going to the auctions? Did you figure out how to master that strategy? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, just real quick to jump back to what you're saying. I mean, it's, I think about it every day. Like we're in an amazing time right now. And in 2005, when I started, I had books, that's it, you know, and, 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 you know, like this agent who had done some investing. But if you're out there listening, I mean, just the fact that you have all of these podcasts to listen to, you've got these meetups, none of that existed um, back then. So, I, I mean, I think it's awesome for all of you guys that are starting out. But, um, yeah, to jump back forward to – so we bought and sold those or took those two houses down. We did all the work ourselves, got them on the market. We were in – you know, still in 05, hot market, we turned them around quick. And I think we made um, about 30000 each. So, and let me rewind for just a second. It, we bought that owner finance house in March. In August, we bought these two uh, houses at the courthouse steps and I quit my job. Um, I was like, you know what? I saw the potential in these properties, but I didn't have the time to do it quickly. Kind of started out over there nights and weekends. And I was just like, this is, this is not working. And that, I was making 32,000 a year and I was going to make, you know, 45 in six months doing this real estate thing. And I was like, I've got to concentrate here. So, um, kind of popped the parachute there, you know, and just jumped, jumped headfirst into it. But yeah, so we, we made, you know, around 90 grand in six months, continue, continue going to foreclosure auction. We were just rolling that. I was 25, no kids, no family. Uh, we actually <clears throat> both moved out of the, the houses that we were renting and started living in these foreclosures. Like we would just <laughs> grab the, you know, the company's paying the payment and the insurance and all that stuff. It's a free place to live. And, and we took uh, the best of our crappy furniture that we had and we moved, we, we were doing our own staging essentially, you know, and just like two, two polo shirts in the closet and just, we were <laughs> extremely portable. So we we're, hopping around from house to house, which was really cool and making, making money and living, you know, essentially, um, for free. And I guess that was the early stages of like, we talk about letting someone else pay your, 
pay your debts and stuff. And that was kind of an early trial by fire education and that. But yes, so we continue to go to uh, the courthouse steps. We ended up, you know, and I always say I've been extremely blessed and um, opportunity doesn't knock twice. You got to put yourself in the in the right position. If you're, if you're not out there looking for it, it's not going to come around. But we bought a property, um, a 10 acre property in a really great lake location uh, for 50 grand. I think it was like 50 grand. The property appraised for 180, uh, whatever the percentage breaks out to, I don't know. But the bank gave us a line of credit on that property for like 150. So we had like gone from literally no money to $200,000 at our disposal in like eight months. And we were just off to the races. We would take these properties down for cash, um, either cash we had or against the line of credit. We'd refi out of them at usually 100% based on, um, you know, the price we're buying them for 50, 50, 60 uh, cents on the dollar. And we'd refi out of them. Uh, do all the the uh, renovations. At that point, we started using subcontractors and stuff to do most of the work. Um, refi out of them, just keep going. And I think the first year we, the first 12 months, we probably flipped like five properties. The next year we flipped like eight and then all high margin stuff. We're in a, a, a small market. So as you, as you know, us, us fix and flip guys, the the margins are higher in a lot of cases, but uh, cash runs short, you know. So we were doing as many as we as we could. Um, in 2009, uh, we both got married within like six months of each other and, you know, just kind of had to split the business up. It was an amicable. There was enough deals to go around. Neither one of us were greedy. So we just kind of split off, created our own entities, and we'd go to the courthouse steps, and we had it had – it, uh, the, the market had crashed and just what that meant was the deals were fatter, honestly, because if you had a property that was, you know, worth a hundred and let's say 130,000 and the people had been paying on it for 10 years and they got it knocked down to like the low one hundreds. Well, the bank at the courthouse steps, and this is something for everybody to make a note on uh, for the future when the market turns again, they can take two thirds of what's owed on that property. So say there's a hundred thousand dollar balance, they can sell that courthouse steps for $66,000. So we're buying a lot of those houses, you know, worth one thirty after repair value for $66,000. You know, we're knocking down 30, 40, $50,000 per, per deal and doing like 12 a year. Um, so that was really what, what got my start and uh, kind of got a wrench um, thrown in my, in my cogs, I guess in 2011, somebody sued the state of Arkansas um, over the uh, statutory foreclosure processes, which statutory is the one that uses the clause in the mortgage that basically says the, if you meet these certain terms as far as not making a payment for 90 days, blah, 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 they can foreclose on you without a judge having to sign off on it. That shut down about 80% of the foreclosures in my market for almost two years. Wow. I, I had to find something to do. I didn't have a job. I had some money, but my wife was like, give me the mean eye, you know, like, what are you doing? I'm playing golf and fishing and kind of just doing whatever <laughs> I want. So, um, you and I kind of talked offline and we've talked before about the, the roofing company. So what I actually did was I bought a franchise, um, little disclaimer, stay away from franchises. Um, <laughs> Bought a franchise in the restoration industry, so we did uh, work similar to uh, Surf Pro. That's not the franchise we bought, but I probably, well, I know I can't mention it. They'll sue me. But um, so 
bought that franchise, spent a ton of money getting that up and going, and I just really wasn't happy from the very beginning, and it wasn't that profitable. So I ended up um, buying out of my contract with the franchise, took that thing independent, built it up as a business, and I sold it, and I owner financed a large portion of that, which we're still getting revenue um, from today. But while I was in the restoration industry, I kind of got uh, pulled into roofing and um, I enjoyed that business. Um, I enjoyed building things. We built some custom homes, um, really nice high end custom homes, uh, which I don't, I don't really do anymore because it was one of those things like you probably get this too, like the shiny object syndrome and a challenge. Yep. So we did that. We executed well and uh, had kind of along those lines, an office manager embezzled a ton of money from me and, uh, I've been flipping two or three houses a year and make a good money flipping houses. And that's what I really enjoyed. So at that point I kind of got tied in with, um, Mike Hambright and got into his, uh, his investment program, which was huge and started learning direct seller marketing. And that's kind of, uh, where we're at today. We still have the roofing company, um, through working with Gary and Susan Harper, mainly on the roofing company. We've set up, uh, that thing and we have it running like a machine. I don't spend a lot of time in that business. We actually just wrapped up a level 10 meeting right before you called. We have a level 10 every every Tuesday meet morning. <clears throat> I meet with those guys for about an hour. Um, and it's it's spitting off it's spitting off good income and I'm not spending a ton of time on it, which is a goal that should be your goal as an entrepreneur is to not work in your business but get to work on your business. I spent about two hours at lunch with an insurance agent last week just talking to him about about my business and that's the part as a business owner you should be doing um as to where before i was out there selling roofs and managing projects and managing rehabs and all the stuff but i've i spend 95 percent of my time right now is focused on on real estate and building a business around that and learning i'm still learning uh direct seller marketing we've been doing it for about a year and I learned so much all the time from, you know, everybody in our, in our circle really, and just listening to podcasts and things like that. And it's been huge. It's, uh, it's been do awesome. Think, do you think you're going to be able to use those tools that you learned from Gary and Susan Harper and the roofing business and translate that into your real estate investing business? Yeah, absolutely. But you know, RJ, to be honest with you, I really enjoy Right or wrong, I really enjoy being in my real estate company. It's it's my passion. Rehabbing houses is my passion. Making large amounts of money that enable me to focus on my why is my passion. And and while yes, we want to do that, um, you know, smart. I don't want to create a situation where I stop generating income when I decide I want to work less. We're moving towards that, but slower, you know. And I mentioned. Um, at Investor Fuel the other day, if I don't want to do something, I don't do it. And I didn't mean that from a standpoint of being lazy. I, I do work hard, but I also have set myself up to where um, if I want to if I want to take off and go kayaking or fishing for the day with my son or something, I can I can do that. I've got everything kind of set up there. And if there's something, I've started identifying things within the business that I don't like doing. And uh, we've outsourced that to other people and we're helping helping them grow, you know. So I don't really see in this market um, ever having the amount of leads that we need to deal on the scale with like what, what you guys are doing and what, what Jamie's doing and things like that. I just don't need that large of a machine, you know. So I just kind of do the things that I, 
I like doing and through Gary and Susan also have helped me focus on like I'd never taken, you know, a personality test or whatever you want, a Colby or a disc or anything like that. And I'm an extremely high D, extremely low S. Like I, I need to be out there meeting with people and working with subcontractors on getting things done and, and, you know, driving this big truck down the road and, and, and not, you know, loading it at the dock. So, um, I just kind of through that, I, yeah, it is, you know, we are developing that, that system, but I, I pretty much set my days up how, how I want to. And that's, uh, the goal of being an entrepreneur is not, I, for me anyway, is not to not work, but enjoy what you do and make it exactly. possible, you know? So let's talk about rehabbing these houses. You yeah. have the roofing company. Does the roofing company help you in rehabbing the properties or are you nope. hiring outside contractors? Totally separate through the, after the embezzlement thing, we kind of did a, a huge reorg. Um, the financial situation for the construction company was not good. It was actually really bad. And, uh, I never fired anyone. No one ever didn't get paid, including subcontractors. Everybody got paid on time. I was pulling money out from my personal account to make it work and everything. But as people left and also in, you know, trying to mentor people, I was like, Hey, you know, people that I knew weren't a good fit before we just had this large operation and I had to have them, even though I knew it wasn't a good fit for them. So I kind of helped people get other jobs without saying like you're fired. You know, I never had to fire anybody really except for the guy that was smoking weed in the company truck. Um, <laughs> the joys of having employees, right? That's another reason, like with the real estate company, like employees are tough, man. I love mentoring people. I love working with people, but finding the right person is, is really hard. Um, right. That's why you should, you know, people should be listening to these guys that are really good at, at hiring, um, you know, and, and find a mentor that can help you once you get ready to build your business. I've, I've had some help, you know, from several different people on how to hire, but uh, never really had to let anybody go. Um, but we just kind of reorganized. We're all, you know, the opposite of Ryan. Ryan was talking about doing everything in-house. We went, we were on that model and we went completely the other direction. We, we sub, we subcontract out uh, everything with the roofing company except for project management and sales. Um, so we don't have any of that stuff going on. I mean, we've got tractors, excavators. We we have this huge focus, or not focus, I guess the opposite of the focus, but we were excavating basements and doing waterproofing, and uh, we were pulling, you know, petrostone off of houses and re-waterproofing stuff that had water damage and doing roof. We just had all this crap going on, and, and through looking at it, what I was able to call out what was not profitable and what was the most labor intensive. And we concentrate 100% right now on uh, um, roofing, and that's enabled us to grow our commercial roofing side, which has been extremely profitable. And I'm super excited about that. Everybody in the company is excited about it. So um, we're actually, you know, becoming more and more successful, but they are two totally separate animals. I talk about the real estate business in our level 10 roofing just because I want those guys to know what I have going on. They don't see me a whole lot. They may think I'm out, you know, just messing around or something, but I, I talk to them about what we've got going on, um, things like that, but I don't use, I, I don't even, hey, if I need a house unlocked, I don't even call those guys to do it. I don't care if they're next door. It's totally, it's, I keep it totally separate. So, gotcha. um, I was do you view the roofing company as like a source of passive income at this point in time? At this time, yes. And I see that continuing to grow. We actually, 
you know, have, uh, I'm going to, I'm, I talked to these guys, uh, a couple months ago, a year from now, I'm going to pretty much going to step out. I've got somebody identified to run the, the roofing company pretty much. I'm going to step even further away from that and, and just meet with him like once a week to look at number or once a month to look at numbers, make sure everything's going well. We've got somebody in the office that's helping us now doing things that, uh, myself and the bookkeeper were doing before. So even more so, yeah, we're moving towards that passive income. And for people who are in smaller markets, um, yeah, it's not a, it's not a bad idea. Once you get your construction knowledge down to maybe start a side gig, it's not easy. You're going to work a lot of hours. I spent, you know, a lot of time, a lot of time and efforts and learning the school hard knocks to make that happen. But, um, it is going to become a really good source of, uh, passive income and an asset. I mean, anytime you can build up a small uh, business that's kicking off uh, profits every year, that's something you can sell. So it's an investment like anything else. And and that's kind of my idea. We're bringing uh, one of the guys who's in on, on a, a profit sharing and, and he's gaining ownership in the company every year. And my plan is to build something up for him and then, you know, step back a little further and just maybe being able to sell my portion to him uh, over time or something like that. That's cool. See, we're doing a similar thing in titanium investments. You know, my partner, Elijah De La Garza in Hawaii, he owns Roofing Solutions. And Roofing Solutions is a local roofing contractor in Hawaii. And he's been a roofing contractor in Colorado, Arizona, uh, Florida, Texas. And so he's had these aspirations to having Roofing Solutions be a nationwide company. And I've had the aspirations of having titanium investments as a nationwide company and what we've learned is is we went a little bit of a different path is that roofing solutions with having all of the subcontractors because yes the company is a roofing company but it's more of like a full service general contractor we just turned that into we were hiring staff for not only our clients on the roofing solution side but also for titanium investments. Titanium investments is essentially a client of roofing solutions. So we hire roofing solutions to do our rehabs. And now that enables us to, when we go to a new market, like we just went to Alaska, we immediately now set up roofing solutions, Alaska. And now we are going to hire our contractors to do the roofing jobs, but also do our rehabs. And so it's just kind of a reciprocal relationship so now every time we go into a new market we're setting up three entities we have titanium realty which is our brokerage titanium investments which is the investment firm and then roofing solutions which is our roofing company slash rehab company and so that's kind of like our strategy but i definitely agree that if you're in a smaller market look at a roofing company as an opportunity to kind of supplement your growing needs in your investment company it's yeah. just it, it's a it's not a very difficult business i mean wouldn't you agree roofing is a pretty simple business to get into yeah it is i mean you literally you know with a with a pickup truck you, you want to have some knowledge you know and it, it, they say like 75 percent of roofing companies fail um but it's not that hard to get into which is the reason i think you see that attrition rate um, you get a lot of people who don't have the, the skills and the people skills and the knowledge to do it that jump in and it's like grand opening, grand closing all in the same month, you know. Um, but but, if but you, going, but on that note, a lot of it is because they're storm chasers. 
So yeah, a, a storm hits, you know, St. Louis, Missouri, and somebody might go and set up an entity for that. And then next year, a storm hits in Phoenix, Arizona, and they're they're leaving St. Louis behind because they've gotten everything they needed there from right. that storm. And because a lot of times roofing contractors don't understand that there's a lot more, there's a lot of ways to sell jobs besides just insurance restoration work. Absolutely. Yeah. And like you said, what you've done is, is you've gone the commercial side and that's like the next step. When you go to that step and you start selling commercial roofs, that's kind of when you solidified yourself as like a actual roofing contractor in your market. Right. Yeah. It takes time to get there and it takes net worth. I mean, Arkansas is kind of a different animal. We have very strict uh, contractor licensing requirements. So it's a little bit different, but I know like if you go over to Oklahoma, um, the barrier to entry there is, is less. Um, but we get a ton of like to, to, you know, back up what you're saying. We don't storm chase. Uh, you know, we pick up if we have storms here, which we do pretty regularly. We all obviously pick up that work, but we absolutely crush it. Stealing um, good customers and good insurance uh, referral sources from other companies that will pick up and move everybody to Tulsa. You know, they've been here forever and they're not leaving, but they'll pick up and go to Tulsa or Kansas city or St. Louis to chase a storm. And then Joe state farm agent calls them and has a customer that has an issue. And they're like, well, sorry, it's going to be three weeks or, you know, sorry, everybody's in St. Louis. Well, we're the, hopefully the next call, you know, right then we just walk down that person's business forever. Right. Um, we stay in our area. We've established ourselves as, as kind of a boutique company, we we do cost a little more, but we've got you know really nice vehicles. We have <clears throat> have the best warranty. You know, we just established established ourselves as a as a great business, and that's something. If someone's already in a smaller market, working on on uh, real estate stuff, and and it's it's there for you to do. It's a you know I would say less than five grand to start, uh, maybe less than that. Start a real set up an entity. Um, set up an entity, get any licensing requirements, insurance requirements that you need and, and have go set up a 30 day account at a supply house. If you have good credit, you know, and, and there you go, just make sure you get paid in less than 30 days. Make sure you take care of your subcontractor. Um, right. It's definitely and here's another thing guys that y'all need to understand is like, you might be listening to this and saying, yeah, I kind of wanted to hear about real estate investing, not about roofing. But this is reciprocal. And in in my business, the roofing company helps the real estate investing company on a, many different levels. Another way to do that it benefits the real estate investing businesses is you have salesmen going out and selling roofs. Those essentially now become bird dogs for the real estate investing company. They're out there. They're beating the streets. They're in the neighborhoods. Maybe it's not the house that they go run a lead on. But maybe the next door neighbor has got overgrown grass and boarded up windows. Boom, snap a picture, and then we can skip trace it, and then the investment company can take over and and run that lead. But the two businesses are very reciprocal, at least here at Titanium. And uh, in like for for Tyler here, it's just a, a source of passive income in a smaller market. And I think that's very creative how you've been able to do that. I'm gonna read so this. I'm going to read this text real quick, RJ. I got from one of the project managers yesterday. 
Um, met this customer at Home Depot last week, asked for two estimates for repair and replacement. His wife just died and he is now selling his home. He just replaced an air conditioner, but roof needs replacement. And there are a couple of other things wrong with the house. Older guy, I believe he is 78. This guy asked, uh, my, my salesman said, hey, the owner of our company buys and sells houses. Asked this dude and he was like, yeah, have him call me. Literally what you just said happened yesterday. And it happens all the time. I mean, as you grow the roofing company, you get more salesmen and more salesmen create more opportunities, not only for the roofing company, but also for the investment company. And that's how it becomes reciprocal. And that's how you almost become a serial entrepreneur at that point in time, where it's like you, you start seeing these opportunities and you're like, okay, if I can get out of my business, like Tyler said, he's not in his roofing business. He's just working on it. And so now when you can get out of that business and you can start implementing these, like what we refer to as like company culture. I mean, that to me is amazing that that roofing salesman or or project manager looked at that situation and thought to himself, this, there's not a commission structure or anything probably set up for him, but obviously he's going to get compensated for something for bringing you that lead. But that company culture made him think, Hey, I need to let Tyler know about this. I need to let this gentleman know that, you know, my boss buys houses. And that's just, that's part of getting out of the business, working on it, working with your people, having those level 10 meetings. Um, It's just, if you're at a level in your company where you think you can work on your business and maybe create something else, look at these different opportunities and see if this might be a good fit for you. So, Tyler, going back to real estate investing, and I know we're kind of coming up on our time frame here. Where where do you want to take your investing business in the next five years? Kind of what are your goals in the real estate side of things? You know, what I'm looking at, we work two different markets. And, and one of the guys um, in the group mentioned uh, during his presentation, your, he said something and, and it Touching on masterminds, if you're not if you're not going to meetups, if you're not going to masterminds, you should be because it's like something you catch these things, these golden nuggets, right? That are like obvious. They should be obvious, and after you hear them, you think, "Well, you dumb butt, you should have known that." But somebody mentioned, "Yeah, in my rental market, this; in my flip market, that." And I I'm working two totally different markets, about an hour apart: Fort Smith, Arkansas, and then Northwest Arkansas. Fort Smith, Arkansas is and should be a rental market. I've never really identified it like that. I've, you know, thought like approach everything the same way I approach it in Northwest Arkansas, but um, I'm, I'm looking to, you know, get my rental portfolio up to, I want to get to a hundred houses um, by the, by the end of 2020, um, you know, just developing that more in a passive income. It's really hard to, to turn away. I was actually talking to somebody about it yesterday to just, look at a $30,000 profit and, and think, well, this could be $300 a month. It's, it's hard to do, but when you put that down on paper in the long run, it, it makes sense to do that if you, if you can. I mean, I started out flipping houses, went into, went into rental property, and uh, I talk with the, the younger guys in the group a lot about net worth because it's been very important to me from a borrowing prospect. We don't use any private money right now to take down properties. We're all cash. Um, but I couldn't do that without borrowing against equity that I have in other in other properties, and they're paying off much better than it would have been 
if I would have sold them 10 or 15 years ago, you know. Um, so I guess going forward, building that building, concentrating more on building that uh, rental portfolio. Um, we're, I'm not sure that I'm running with the herd on this, but I'm, I'm going to go to a, a multifamily seminar in uh, October, maybe looking to do some apartment deals in other markets. Um, we're kind of looking, I know you do some stuff in Tulsa and I've, I've been wanting to talk to you about that. Maybe uh, getting on a, some cash buyer list. We've created some landing pages uh, in Tulsa and maybe picking up some deals there. It's about a two hour drive. Not super exciting, but for a, a, a flip market, if I can make that work just to get more deals. I mean, we've created the machine now. So um, just kind of to expand, I guess, and build that passive, whether it's through multifamily projects or just adding. I'm going to add to the single family. I'm a big single family guy when it comes to building uh, wealth. I, I like uh, the model, you know, and it, it's done. It served us well in the past. Um, right. The other thing we do worth mentioning, you know, is, is Airbnb. Like you and I have talked about, we've got five uh, properties. We're kind of a, we've got a, a big museum here. It's a big draw. We're becoming one of the top mountain bike destinations in the U S and um, we've got five Airbnb properties that um, I actually met with the accountant about it the other day to see how they were doing because they are kind of a pain. They can be kind of a pain, even though I'm, I'm like 30% of that business I'm in on a lot more than I want to be. And, I was just kind of looking at it like, is this, is it worth it? You know, and the accountant was like, yeah, you're, you're crushing it on this Airbnb stuff. So uh, we're doing that. And, and just kind of the, like you and I spoke about earlier, it's just kind of from a business perspective and marketing just a, in, in a smaller market, it's just a kind of a shotgun approach. Um, try to be, try to, try to develop these systems one at a time, whether it be starting with direct mail, become a, you know, narrow that list down, figure out what's working, become an expert in that, and then move on to online or vice versa or whatever, and then move on to probates and try to become an expert in probates and, you know, so on and so forth. Um, on those Airbnbs, do you have project manager or property managers or do you self-manage those? Um, I have I have a person that cleans those and, and she's she gets all the cleaning fees and she's on a commission as far as the gross the gross booking amount, she handles about, she handles all the cleaning um, and probably about 70% of the messages and the issues that pop up. I get, I get brought in, um, you know, on some, on some problems. <laughs> Unfortunately, right. Airbnb is becoming more popular with the uh, baby boomer generation, I guess we would say. So I kind of joke about that. Like they want somebody to come over and help them put their iPhone on Wi-Fi and it's that and that's that's been a, the biggest source of headache over the last like year with airbnb is just more and more of the older generation that are just not tech savvy but essentially if you do reading on airbnb or uh uber or any of the their apps they're not like it's not a vacation home property or a company it's a freaking app you know right and if you're not up on that technology it can be stressful for them which ends up being stressful for me you know and we got high speed uh, door locks that you have you get a code in your email and none of them you know any most people over 60 don't get the email my, <laughs> my two like, favorite my two favorite complaints about airbnbs that we had were the first one was um i'm mad that you don't have a keurig and you just have a regular coffee pot and they were serious. They really wanted yeah. me to go buy them a Keurig. Happens all, all the time. 
Yeah. And then the second one was, and I don't remember the exact numbers, but it was like, you only have 18 towels and I need 19. Right. Yeah. And it was like, what? And it was like a, a stupid number. It was like for like five guests. And it's right. Like, what, what, why do you need an additional one towel? Yeah. Like, how did you even come up with that? It, you know, it, that's something to be, you just you have to take it with a grain of salt. And it is what it is. I mean, yeah, I, I tell people that haven't done it. Just realize you're you're not it's not a rental property anymore. You're essentially running like a mini hotel. Yeah, so you're going to get those complaints. I get people all the time ask me about it. And I'm like, you know, one uh, is a pain in the butt. Five is a business. We've got five. We've built it into a business now. It's but just one. If you're looking at starting, you have to start somewhere, I guess. But gosh, right. it's like a huge difference between having five and having one. And once you get the cleaning checklist and the systems down and all of that stuff and our response to the Keurig thing, cause you're right, we get it all the time is they're not sanitary. And we got that from other people that would complain. We had Keurigs in uh, right. the first couple and people would be like, you shouldn't put Keurigs on the, in these. They're not sanitary, which I don't even, I mean, I drink coffee out of, I drink it black out of a pot and I don't care. Um, but we just say, well, we don't use Keurigs because it is a, a vacation rental and they're not that sanitary and people are usually like, Oh, I didn't know that. You know, they're using their own Keurig at their own house and cleaning right. or whatever. So, but yeah, it's, I, I, I have been able to relax a little bit on it because I just label these things shenanigans. And for some reason <laughs> in my mind, if I label the towel phone call as a shenanigan, it's like, you know, just psychologically it's different than this is a pain in the ass, you know? <laughs> All right, man. So the last thing that I want to talk to you about, you kind of touched base on it at the beginning of the interview. Today is 9-11. And, um, you know, I, I think for, for everyone that experienced that day back in 2001, um, we all kind of remember where we were and, and how that impacted us. At the time, though, you were in the military, correct? That's correct. It, talk to me a little bit about what that what kind of impact that had on you as a, a member of the military and, and kind of what this day means to you as someone that experienced that day and was already, you know, protecting our country and, and serving our country. Oh, that's, that's tough, man. Um, yeah, I, I think this, you know, you, you gotta put, you should put God first, but, uh, family country, you know, and, uh, I don't know for me, like I'm hyped up. My heart's beating right now. Like I love this country with all of my being. And it's so disappointing right now to see, um, you know, what certain groups are the kneeling thing. Let's just address that. Right. I mean, I, I 100% support freedom of speech and I don't want to turn your podcast into a, a political soapbox, but, 100% support freedom of speech. I was willing to lay down everything for that. That doesn't mean I have to be okay with somebody kneeling during the national anthem. And that a lot of people on both sides of the aisle feel like you do, you know, it's, it doesn't have to be just because you support one wholeheartedly doesn't mean you have to support, let's say Nike for backing Kaepernick. It's okay to not support those kind of actions, you know, um, but, you know, for me, I think it just, I, I was always, you know, pretty patriotic being 
raised in the Midwest. None of my, I didn't come from like a, you know, red, white, and blue military family or anything, but it's, I literally owe everything I have right now uh, to the military, to my experiences, to the guys that I worked with in the military, to the guys that are still in there, like everything, 100%. So, and, and I can't say otherwise, like there's literally uh, the military led me to the courthouse steps, which led me to uh, buying real estate, which led me to, you know, getting trained by Mike Hambright on how to do direct seller marketing. Like it all goes back to that. My dad told me when I was like 16, son, if you don't change your ways, you're going to be changing the oil at Walmart for the rest of your life. He also told, I have a great dad, by the way, he's hard on me, you know, which is good. Um, <laughs> if you're not careful, you're going to be wearing, uh, you're going to be wearing your name on the sh on your shirt, you know, for the rest of your life, stuff like that, which is fine. But I, you know, right. I've got other people wearing my name on their, on their clothes now. Um, and that's, that's all because of the military. Like if, if you're young and you're listening to this or, or you have a 16 or 17 year old kid, that's not on the right track, like talk to them about it, get with RJ, get my cell phone number. Like I said, in the group, I love talking about it. I love mentoring. I was on the wrong path, man. And it, uh, it's not for everybody, but it did, it did set me, it did set me straight. And I learned, uh, you know, so much about, about myself, uh, during that thing. So sorry if that got a little rambling. Uh, it's, fine, it's, man. A tough, it's a tough question to answer, man, because it's something that, that tugs at my heartstrings, you know, it's important. Absolutely. It's big, and, and you know, for me, the, the military was something that I, I could personally never do. And, and for me, that's just like identifying who I am as a person and, and just knowing what my strengths and weaknesses are. And I look up to the people in the military so much because, you know, A, I'm so appreciative for, for what you guys do and have done for our freedom and for our country. And, um, you know, this is a, a always a, a tough day for me. Um, September alone is a tough month uh, just because of, you know, 9-11. And then also this was the time frame in which my dad uh, fell in his house and passed away. And uh, so there's a, a lot of emotions that kind of run through my body in September. And um, I, I always look back at 9-11 at and, and realize I was in high school and... Um, when it happened, there was a lot of talks about people my age potentially having to join the military because, you know, there was um, it, it, a potential ensuing war and maybe a draft and all of these things were being talked about. And uh, I, I just look back at it now and with so much appreciation for the people that willingly sign up to do that and protect our country. And, um, yeah, this is not supposed to be a political uh, uh, podcast, but I will say, I think for the people that do serve our country, they deserve all of the respect in the world. And there's plenty of platforms out there to get your message across, but showing respect to our country and the people that serve it uh, should never be that platform. That's just my opinion. So with that being said, Tyler, thank you so much for uh, sharing your story and, uh, you know, I, I think this was a little bit of a different interview. We talked about a, a lot of roofing and a lot of uh, other things, but man, I, I so much appreciate um, what you do for the, the people and investor fuel. And so uh, if I'm going to wrap this interview up by telling you guys just how great of a guy Tyler is, 
um, at the past investor fuel meetup, um, I was, I was sharing, uh, about beat kids cancer, my, my nonprofit for uh, childhood cancer and how we have our charity golf tournament coming up on October 1st. And, um, uh, I was just explaining to the group what we do with the funds that are raised there. And, and essentially it's families turn in grant requests for, um, expenses like medical bills or car payments, mortgage payments, electric bills, just things like that, that need to get paid. And the morning of this presentation, we actually received a grant request for a tax lien on a property and it exceeded what the maximum amount we will pay to someone is. And, uh, Tyler immediately just being the guy who he is, he, he immediately said, why don't we just raise the money in this room? And uh, that was not my intentions. It was not something that I wanted to do, but I love my investor fuel family. And, uh, and immediately everybody jumped on board and we, we raised twice as much as what was needed that day for that family. And we paid off that tax lien for that family whose, whose child is going through uh, cancer treatment here in Fort Worth, Texas. And, uh, that's just the guy that Tyler is. So Tyler, thank you so much for, uh, for what you did for us that day. It meant the world. And, uh, I, I don't, I think that's a, a moment that I'll never forget. My pleasure. I was just running my mouth. So it just worked out. <laughs> <laughs> well, man, I, I think you, you kind of sometimes don't give yourself enough credit and, uh, kind of joke about, you know, uh, just running your mouth, but I think you're an incredible guy. So All thank right. you so much. Yeah. Thanks RJ. All right, man. Talk to you soon. All right. Thanks so much for listening to the Titanium Vault with your host, RJ Bates III. For more info and to stay up to date, visit www.podcast.thetitaniumvault.com and on facebook.com slash thetitaniumvault. If you enjoyed the episode, please rate and review, and we'll catch you next time on the Titanium Vault. <laughs>